0: I'm probably going to get your attention with this opening statement. I hope I hope that every person who steps foot in Refuge Church is not a 5 foot 10 white heterosexual male. Who doesn't struggle with substances, who's an active father, has never dealt with abuse. I pray that not every person looks, acts, dresses, and is exactly like me. How's that for an opening? Doesn't mean I don't want people like this. I mean, the more Chiefs fans we can get, get them in here. (laughs) I just don't want everybody to feel like they got to dress like us, act like us. Look like us, carry themselves like us, worship just like us. Now, certainly there's going to be doctrine and things that we preach. Of course, that does not change. And we always have to put those disclaimers in. Because right off the bat, you make a comment like that. We try to find this, well, how do I love but stand against sin? So when you open a statement like I just did, we have to give the disclaimer that follows it. Otherwise, we'll be just a a tad uncomfortable. The topic of love has been twisted in so many different ways throughout the years. Scripture tells us that the starting point of love is God himself. 1 John 4, 7, and 8, some of you might have sang to this, memorized it. It says, dear friends, let us continue to love one another. For love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God. For God is love. That does not say God is loving, even though he is. We tend to think of love as this, well, he's loving. God's a loving God. Therefore, I want to be loving. That says God is love. It's not an attribute of who he is. It emanates love began with God. God is love. He's the beginning, the starting point. So since love begins with him, I think it's only fair that he gets a voice in the definition of love, the expectation of love, and the characteristics of what love looks like. So today I want to speak on this topic. What does it mean to love? What does it mean to love? Love can never be an optional extra for a Christian. To be a Christian means to love and you've you've experienced love. If you are a Christian, if you say, I love Jesus Christ, I believe in him, you have been loved. You've experienced love. You've been loved by God. John 13, 34 says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Now, did you catch this? Jesus says, if we fail to love other people, we truly do not love God. So if there's anybody in this world, is there anybody you can think of you might not love? Let's, let's spend a moment there. I didn't have that in my notes the minute I said that. I actually felt something in the room. Maybe you already got a face in your mind, somebody that did you wrong, that they hurt you. Maybe they even hurt you and wronged you on purpose. Maybe you don't know them. Maybe you don't know them by name, but in your head, you start to visualize this person of what they look like and the way they dress and where they go and things they do. I mean, bless God, I want everybody to come in here. But when they come in, oh, they smell different. They look different. I heard that that guy, that guy has done some things wrong to Kids. We don't want that kind in our church. I'll go ahead and give the disclaimer because the discomfort settles in. I believe God washes and changes anybody. We use wisdom here at Refuge Church. If we run a background check and we find something that somebody has done something to children, I am so thankful that God has washed away your sins. He has filled you with his spirit. He's changed your life. You won't ever work with kids here but there will be a whole bunch of other ministries you can get involved in. So we're going to use wisdom. But yet, we can say we want anybody to walk in, but when they smell like, look like, have a different history than we do. Do I love them? Am I allowed to love them? Am I expected to love them? What if they did something to me? And here we read, Here's how you're going to prove your love for me to the world if you love everyone. If you don't, well, then the love of the Father's not in you. His famous parable, one of his famous parables, Jesus talks about a good Samaritan. And he shows that by others, he says, Love others. What is that definition? Well, he proves it, he lays it out in Scripture that the definition he expects is everyone. Loving people who don't look like you do, who don't believe like you do, who don't live like you do, who don't vote like you do. Well, you had me till that part right there. (laughs) Sister Kendra came in here. She stood in this pulpit and prophesied about our church being a beacon of hope and light to the LGBTQ plus community. I haven't seen the results of that prophecy yet. What if the LGBTQ plus community walked into this church? I pray that they would have a couple of things to say about this church. Number one, the power and presence of Jesus Christ was so strong and incredible. Number two, the people of that church made me feel so loved and welcome. Now the discomfort settles in. Well, we don't want people to continue living in sin. There's a whole lot of sins out there. Some have gathered here today. (laughs) But you know, when we judge people, we judge the people who sin differently than us. And so, how in the world can we do that? How can we love someone living in sin? It's very easy. You love them. See, we must see the intrinsic value in every human life. Because God is the one who created every person. 1 John 4:20 says if someone says I love God but hates a fellow believer, that person is a liar. So if you uh, it's very difficult to go, "The same God who made way, oh Lord, I love you, God, you're so God. Jesus." Man, I hate that person. <laughs> you see, because God is love. He's not l- just loving. He's loved. So essentially, we say, God, I love you. This expression. You know how many times I've preached or taught Bible studies? And people will come up to me, and they will hug me, and they will go, I just love you and your family. I just love you. And it's so nice. And I say, I love you too. This is wonderful. But I know that truthfully, now the relationship will grow to such where they probably, you know, they will love us. We will love them, and especially if they serve alongside of us in the church. But I know in the beginning, they don't love me. They're feeling Jesus, and that love that comes over them makes them feel like, I just love everybody. But then, when someone walks away, they can just walk away from things. Well, that's not because, oh, they stopped loving me. No, when someone has disconnected from the spirit and presence of God, that's that's the beginning point of love. And so when I say, God, I love you, oh, I hate them we're completely contradicting the very nature, the essence of who God is. So he's saying you can't love, say you love, and then hate other people because then my love's not in you because it completely contradicts who I am as a a deity, as a being. And so he says if we don't love people we can see, how can we love God whom we cannot see? Now I know when you sometimes you preach a message on love and that seems so basic, so elementary, like let's get into the deeper things of God. But it's one of those things where you can't do trigonometry and you can't do calculus if you can't add. I'm saying so we're not ready for the deep things. We can't we're not ready for the fivefold ministry conference if we go, God I love you, but I hate that person who's done wrong to me. And so, I think if I'm going to be honest that, hopefully I'm always honest if I'm in the pulpit, I think that somehow we're almost afraid of love. There's elements of love that scare us. Now, I'm not just talking about the romantic love. Should I should I not ask her to marry me? That's nerve-wracking enough, believe me. People say sometimes, I wish I could go back and do my life over. I'm like, ain't no way. (laughs) I don't want to relive some of my mistakes. But here's what I mean by this. If we say we love someone who does not look like, live like, or believe like me, then will others in my faith community... Interpret that as me standing for things that I really don't stand for. I have to d- give the disclaimer. What if someone in the Pentecostal organization to which I'm a part was watching our live stream and Sister Hannah captured this wonderful shot of me as I was opening the service and 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 they and they heard me go, I hope not every person who comes to Refuge Church is a white. 5'10 heterosexual male without substance abuse issues and has. Well, dear God. What's going on at Refuge Church? Andy's the North American Missions Director, of Missouri. We need to vote somebody else in. That guy's lost his mind. But it becomes safe if we say we love and then give a disclaimer. But we know it's sin and we'll preach against sin because we're not comfortable just making the statement, I love all people. Love scares us. The interpretation of what others think sometimes scares us. What does it mean to love? But then we come across, you know, because we say, well, bless God, we need to stand against evil. And that includes evil people. And then I read Paul go, yeah, and such were some of you. God help me if I ever hit rock bottom and walked into a church looking for something. And the people said, oh, I love you, but you need to change. And I, man. Then we come across this passage in multiple passages where Jesus says, love everybody. Do good to those who despitefully use you. In the Good Samaritan, Jesus celebrates a hated Samaritan. Jewish people, Samaritan people, they hated each other. And he's like, yeah, let me tell you a story. Then a Samaritan came along and he did this. He did all the things right. Who was the one that's the, the, the true hero of the story? And they're just like. And he condemns the religious people in the story who avoided the man on the side of the road. I pastor a church that is a part of a religion, that religion is our way of reaching out to God. I believe in organized religion. I believe in it. I think it provides structure, accountability. I serve in our organization. I'm thrilled to be a part. But God is first and foremost a God of relationship more than he is religion. For followers of Christ, love is not just an attitude tacked on to the Christian life as an afterthought. A heart that cultivates love for God and love toward others is the core of what it means to be a Christian. Hey, what do you say about the commandments? How should we follow these? Hey, if I could put 613 things into two things, it's this, love God and love other people. That's the words of Jesus. But then we go, and the disclaimer is, and I know we need to preach this, and I know that, and we have to add the disclaimers because that doesn't make us totally comfortable. Whether that's because of our own feeling or the feeling of what would be interpreted by someone else. Mark 12, 29 to 31, Jesus replies and says, just what I said, the most important commandment. And he goes on to say, here it is. Love God, love others. A biblical response to any person living in any sin is to see them as our neighbors. We're called to love them. We're called to reach them, to disciple them. But without love, Paul says we are a clanging cymbal. Has anyone at any point in your life had a child that had a set of drums in your house? Raise your hand. If you have ever had a child in your house with a set of drums, not the electric ones talking real drums, somebody, I, I bet you somebody created electric drums. I bet you any money that, that person was a parent. Somebody can Google it right now and let me know. I, I just got a feeling that somebody was brilliant and was like, we got to figure out a way for them to still play and me not, me not to hear it. But at some point, you don't just sit down on a drum set and be like, and be like David and Tim. You know, you, you don't just sit down on a drum set like that, okay? A kid grabs a drum set. I can't even say a kid. I grabbed a drumstick when I started. I'm still not good, but now it doesn't sound quite that like a, now it's not a quite a clanging cymbal. But when I sat down, you're just like, my goal is to take these and go as fast as I can and make as much noise as I can and just have fun. I think of that, uh, what's the guy off the Muppets? Animal? That's what I think of. Just want to make noise. Bam, bam, just hit the clanging cymbals. But at some point as a parent, you're like, oh, honey, that's nice, when they first start. And at some point, you get to the point where you're like, for the love of God. (laughs) Mom, I can't find my drumsticks. I don't know, honey. Uh, Do you know where they are? How can I answer this and not be a lie? Got to figure out creative ways. Somebody told me once about an evangelist that was going through areas. And people were always, back in the day, you know, they had the sisters at the church bring them a meal. And, and so they would travel through and get the meal. And some of that food was just terrible. It's just nasty. Anybody ever go to church potlucks? You just, uh, yeah. Everybody watches what you eat and you're just like, ah. Uh. Not here because everybody can cook here but other churches. <laughs> and so this evangelist said, I had to figure out a way how to, how to, how to deal with this. So he bought a garbage can, and at the bottom of the garbage can, he broke the words spot. So then we'd go to church that night. The sisters would say, oh, did you eat my meal? He said, sister, that blessed me. It hit the spot. <laughs> Somebody's called to the evangelism field, and I'm helping you right now. Paul says, I could speak all the languages. Could you imagine meeting somebody that could speak, speak all the languages of the earth? That would be incredible. Had to make a joke, probably won't be American. We usually only speak one. But you meet people that, oh, they come in, oh, they speak nine, 10, 11 languages. Could you imagine speaking all the languages of the earth? Paul says, if you didn't love other people, I don't care, I'm not impressed. You're just a clanging symbol." I'm afraid that's what a lot of our world wants. Sometimes they they want nothing to do with Christianity. Because the people who claim to be the Christians are sometimes clinging to the truth but not to the love. And I don't want to be an annoying symbol. So what does it mean to love? Well, I think we can love better. How? First, we need to understand who our neighbors are. Who are our neighbors? Well, it's the person that lives right next to me or right this side or in front of me or behind me. No, no, no. Jesus wasn't talking like that. Genesis 1.27 says, God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God created he them. And male and female, he created them. This passage doesn't seem like it's the central point for loving well, but it is. Because if we will view every human being as intrinsically valuable to God, created by him, no matter what they look like, no matter how they treat you, no matter what type of sin they're involved with, we can go, wait a second, hang on, this person frustrates me. You don't have to like or enjoy spending time with every person on planet Earth. There might be people in this church that you're just like, I do my best just to say hi, but man, I would never want to go out to eat with them. That's fine. It's fine. You're not going to like every single personality. But if we can look and go, God created that man, that woman, or that person who's not even claiming a gender. There it is again. I was with you, but then that made me feel uncomfortable. He died for them, just like he died for you. And I felt like for Sister Kendra's prophecy to begin to come to pass, I have to start having a voice in this pulpit on these topics. I'm even praying and preparing a a series that I would do on a Wednesday, and I said, No, I think I need to do it on a Sunday. A series entitled God's Voice in the Transgender Discussion. Now, that topic would make us uncomfortable. Here's my disclaimer I still stand for the Bible. but we can't just bury our head in the sand and pretend this stuff doesn't exist. Especially in the society for the first few rows of this church who are literally gonna deal with it every day for the rest of their lives. There's no exception clauses to loving people. There's no way for someone to be a human and not bear God's image even though it may their actions or choices may obscure it even though they may not acknowledge him or walk in his plan for their lives, he still loves them. And failing to understand this truth, how this truth applies to every single person equally in society is at the foundation of all sorts of abuse and atrocities throughout human history. In Nazi Germany, a failure to see the full dignity of Jews led to the Holocaust. At the founding of the U.S., a failure on the part of most white people to see the full dignity of persons with black skin led to evils of racism and slavery. For the last 50 years, a failure to see the full dignity of persons who are not yet born have led to more than 50 million legal abortions in the U.S. alone. There's intrinsic value in every human life. History's greatest crimes result from denying God's image in every single man and woman. We all matter to God, everyone. And next, we must understand that love requires empathy. Understanding the perspectives of someone unlike you is absolutely vital to developing empathy and building relationships. I am so proud of some of our young people in this church Really all of them, but I'm referring to a couple. They let me preach last Wednesday. They were nice to me. They didn't beat me up. Must have been the shoes. (laughs) I won't use names because of ongoing situations. But some of our young people have started getting together with an Islamic friend. They started talking about common ground of their belief in one God. They listened to what the Muslim friend believes. It has started with a respectful conversation. started with love. And again, I won't say names because it's an ongoing conversation. Some people might be uncomfortable with that. I'm proud of that. Because I know these young people are well-rounded, solid foundation. I I don't stress when somebody says, I've started having lunch with someone of another faith. I go, awesome, great job. I hope we have more conversations with addicts, abusers, homosexuals, Muslims, adulterers, convicts, CEOs who run Fortune 500 companies. I help everybody can walk into refuge church no matter where its location is and go I feel Jesus. And these people love me. Every everyone needs Jesus. Our mission doesn't change because we say we love someone who's living in sin. Every person needs Jesus Christ. But in my conversation, if it starts with you need Jesus, that might not turn out well. Why not start with love and respect? Why not start by listening to where they are at and what they believe rather than starting by telling them what you assume they believe? I believe I'm speaking a prophetic message today. Now, I know I need to clarify that because you might be like, I'm not seeing it talking about love, is that really prophetic? But I believe, hear me, that our next season of growth is going to be one filled with people who are not exactly like us. People that God is going to connect us to to reach. And disciple, but will we be capable of loving people exactly where they are before they even develop a relationship with Jesus? The key to the next season of growth in the calling of Refuge Church will be this, our ability to love someone who is not like you. Empathy is the prerequisite for speaking meaningfully and authoritatively into someone's life. We have to be given permission to speak into someone's life. Oh, yeah, I'll just tell you. I'll just tell you like it is. Okay. You might even be right in how you told them like it is. I don't care. I'm going to tell them like it is. That's fine. But you're, th- that might be perfectly right, but they will be perfectly gone. To love someone, we must work hard to empathize with them. Bless God, I ain't empathizing with no abuser. I ain't empathizing with no homosexual. I ain't empathizing with no person that's dealing with drugs. I ain't empathizing. Oh, so your definition of empathy means you have to accept their lifestyle before you love them. I probably should come up with a disclaimer. It's getting tense. Bless God, is pastor still preaching truth? Paul says, "Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. American pastor, author, theologian Timothy Keller says, you cannot help with a burden unless you come very close to the burdened person. This is not like some Star Wars references, you know, where like from afar, Yoda, you can like lift the burden off from a distance. And the help with a burden, you better get up alongside that person. He says, in the same way, a Christian must listen and understand and physically, emotionally, spiritually take up some of the burden. And that means seeking to look at life from their perspective. Again, does that mean you have to agree with everything? No. But I have to hear what you're saying. I've learned in counseling, there are times people start to talk to me in counseling. And moments into our time together, I know exactly what they're going to say. And I know exactly what the answer is. And there are times it would save me boatloads of time if I just said, let me stop you right there. Here's what you're dealing with and this is what you need to do. God bless you. Have a great day. (laughs) But a person cannot find healing and strength and peace and help until they first feel like you've heard them. There's nothing that can be done and sometimes it might take days, hours, weeks to hear them. And, and, it, and that's why we go, discipleship just takes some time and it takes some effort and energy. And I don't got time to do it. And that's why many Christian people go to church but won't make a disciple. But you see, Jesus says, go make disciples, teaching them. Today, I got to see it firsthand. It's in relationship. Now, I know sometimes it's aggravating. You're further along, and you don't want to hang out with the little kid. I was just talking to Kevin and Leslie downstairs. They're doing Rock Church. It's kind of sad and funny at the same time that little kids are just so weird sometimes. Like, they're just just so weird, okay? (laughs) Titus my, my youngest son does not want to be around Charlotte. She's a little kid. But Titus comes up to Gabe and wants to play with Gabe. I'm like, bro, Gabe's in the youth group now, okay? You can't have a sleepover with Gabe, all right? But Titus would be like, Gabe's my buddy. Come on, let's hang out. And Gabe's so kind and sweet to Titus. But you're like, dude, what you're doing to other people you don't even realize you're 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 refusing the acceptance while you're desiring the acceptance But same thing, I watch the older girls. It, when nobody comes. If you're a guest, nobody, this is not a cult. We don't say, go up to the front and kneel down. Go up to the front and raise your hand. These little kids will come up and they just love Jesus. And I know there's some Sundays they go up just to hang out with their friends. I'm not a moron. I know that not every Sunday the seven-year-olds are like, ooh, Ichabod, that's a song right there. Sometimes they're just like, she went up, I'm going up by her. And then if you watch them, one drops down, the others drop down around them. Like, there's a system that they have. But I'll tell you what, I'm not going to be the person to stop that system. There's going to be systems formed in that age group. I am certainly in love with the fact that the altar in worship is one of them. But today... I'm watching Charlotte stand down here, and she's looking over at the other girls, and they're going like this, and Charlotte's going. And then they go like this, and so Charlotte kind of goes. And there's discipleship does not just take place. Like our mindset sometimes is that discipleship takes place in for the Foster, Pastor Foster's class. Discipleship. We certainly will always have a class cuz there's biblical principles that are imparted and explained and taught but can I tell you discipleship is not a class discipleship is a relationship it's one where sometimes you say, hey, you want to come with me here? And they watch you and they try to clap like you do and they try to raise their hand like you do and worship like you do and dress like you do and go to the places you go and do the things you do because they want that because you're not somebody who just told me like it is. You invested in me as a person and I feel a closeness to you because you introduced me to Jesus and taught me how to walk with him. That's discipleship, and that's what he's calling each of us to do, but discipleship, communicating truth, loving someone and showing empathy to to them does not mean you no longer stand for truth. Can I just go ahead and give you freedom at Refuge Church if you don't feel it already? Feel free to love everybody. Everybody. You don't have to give me disclaimers. You don't have to say, well, I, I, just so you know I'm meeting with this person who doesn't believe like I do, but don't worry about me. I'm just try- I'm not I know you got this. God's opening the door. Yeah, I started bringing people. You know what? My mom reminded me. They used to go in and teach in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Bible studies at a halfway house. A halfway house is where people that were convicted of various things would get put there, and they would have to stay for a season of time. Not quite a full security prison or anything like that, but they would have the different outfits that they'd wear, and they'd come out into a specific room, and my dad would teach Bible studies, and my mom would go with him, and they would go. And then they started getting, and I think you asked to borrow the church van one time or something, and they went and started picking up groups of people into the suburban area, the upscale area of Oak Creek, Wisconsin. And in, my dad and mom would walk in with about 12 halfway house ladies, some of them lesbians, some of them looking a little rough. Some of them live in life, maybe like suburban white America wouldn't be comfortable with. Can I say it? Can I be real today? And they'd walk in, and there'd be pews saved. And these ladies would walk up to the front, and they would start raising their hands, shedding tears, telling my dad, "I want to get baptized." God would fill them with the Spirit. And that opened just because my mom and dad loved them. They were not like my mom and dad. Maybe like my dad somewhat. <laughs> his, his previous life. But what I'm saying is, I'm not even talking about just sin. I'm saying I want every language Every skin color, every socioeconomic background, every type of sin, every type of lifestyle. I want to be a church of all people, to all people. I want everybody to feel love. In communicating truth and love, requires relationship. I always say that we as a church should follow biblical commands to bear one another's burdens, weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice, provoke one another to love and good works. These are all scriptural commands to us, but if someone is not feeling safety with you, they will not come to you. Loving them and listening to them does not mean that you're showing support for their decisions. But how can you help them through if they won't come to you with them? How will they ever come to you if they don't feel love and safety from you? The church has to be the safest place on earth. The safest place on earth. We're never going to stop preaching truth. But we must always be a hospital for the sick and a shelter for the broken. And so yes, someone struggling with alcohol or substances, I pray they'll feel loved. People who are caught up looking at pornography I pray that they'll feel safety to come to someone here. People who have started sexual relationships outside of marriage. I pray that they'll be safe in these altars. Homosexuals, transgender. I hope that they'll come and worship here. Those who have been molested or abused as children. Hopefully, eventually, they'll find someone here that goes i got to tell someone my story. Ladies who have had abortions, I pray that they come into a church just like this and go, "I, I, I, I need healing. People who don't dress like you, talk like you, look like you, I hope they still feel love from you. The safety to be able to come to me and to you and say, I'm struggling. I didn't know where to turn. But I knew that I could come to you. Because I knew you would love me. And I knew that you would help me. Because when we have loved well, and people feel that love and approach us with a mindset of safety... Now there's an opportunity for truth to make a difference. Scripture tells us love rejoices in truth. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love is patient and kind, not jealous or boastful, and doesn't demand its own way. It's not irritable. It doesn't keep record of wrong. It says, verse 6, it does not rejoice about injustice, but it rejoices whenever the truth wins out. The Bible's definition of love in the last few minutes of this message this is where the church feels a little more comfortable because we're more comfortable with truth than we are with love. The definition of love, though, runs contrary to the world's, Western world's definition. According to our present world, loving someone means giving them license to pursue whatever they believe will bring them happiness or fulfillment. But the Bible says that love also requires truth. So it's not like you have to choose to be a loving church or a church of truth. And that's what I feel like the world has kind of made these compartments and we're supposed to fit in one of these. But hold on a second. You don't write the narrative. God does. And as a church, we will be one that embraces love and truth at the exact same time. Bible says love required. Love does not mean looking someone in the eyes and affirming every desire that they experience. Love means looking someone in the eyes and communicating the truth of scripture. We are to do this gently, but nevertheless, we are to do it. It's very important to bear in mind that what Christians call loving will not be considered loving by the world. So we should never assess whether we are truly loving by the world's response to our message of love. Love and truth are never determined by whether they are popular. What is loving may be very unpopular. So my message does not change. I will never stand in this pulpit and see someone living a certain way and purposely go after you from a pulpit setting to try to get you to change your life. But I will also not see someone walk in that I know is living in sin. If God put a message on my heart, I'm going to change that message because I don't want to offend you. I am going to preach what God tells me to say, and I'm going to do it every time with love. Increasingly speaking truth out of love is called hate speech. But Paul says love cannot exist without truth and love cannot rejoice at wrongdoing. If we accept the authority of the Bible, we must understand that affirming people in a path that is contrary to what scripture says is never loving. If I affirm any sin, I'm actually doing an unloving thing. I don't have to jump on Facebook and start liking pictures of people who have left the church engaging in all sort of sinful things because I just want them to know I love them. No, I I already do love them, and I'm going to communicate that to them, but I'm not going to like the sin that they're participating in. If I'm living for God and they are not, there should be some things that they feel slightly uncomfortable about when they're around me. But not because I have to go, just so you know. No, I'm going to love God and love others and let God deal with their heart. And if they say, what do you think about this? going I say, well, you know I love you, but you know I don't agree with that. We have to love truth so much that we care more about the truth than we care about how the world thinks of us. We have to love people so much that we care more about their souls than we care about their approval. And that means the pursuit of truth and love may cost us friendships. But people rejected Jesus for speaking the truth and love, so I certainly wouldn't expect me to be any different. And I'm about to close. We live in the age of social media. It's an age where, honestly, it can be corrosive to loving our neighbor. Social media enables us to select our neighbors And guess what people tend to select? People just like you. That's why I'm open to, you know, oh, yeah, you know, we could, whatever we want to do, whatever lifestyle, whatever they look like, act like, dress like, however they worship, whatever they, whoever they vote for. That way, when I put up my political memes, everyone will just give me thumbs up and say Amen. I just have yet to be on a social media post at election season and have somebody post something and have someone go, wow, you made an excellent point today. I'm no longer voting for the person who I was going to vote for. And instead, I'm voting for the person that you just brought to the table. <laughs> Facebook's algorithm algorithms mean that almost everyone we hear from via Facebook already agrees with our position. When our safe social media bubbles are pierced by different views, it tends to be because something extreme happened. Perhaps worst of all, again, we can just go off on tangents without needing to listen to anyone else or see the effects of it on anyone else, because we're just going to get thumbs up and likes and amens. But if we're going to reach our world, if we're going to preach and teach the transformative power of the Holy Ghost, love Requires relationship. It requires real face-to-face relationship. And I want to end today's message with that parable that Jesus told. Luke 14, 16, Jesus replied with a story. He said, a man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, come, the banquet is ready. So the man started, you know, he start, he's sending out these invites. These probably would have went to friends and family, neighbors, coworkers, people like him, people that were in his circle of friends. Probably would have started those with those closest to him, those like him. But their responses didn't go as planned. Verse 16, they all began making excuses. One said, I just bought a field. I got to inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I just bought five pairs of oxen. I want to try them out. Please excuse me. Imagine your friends. You know, you'd be like, this is weak. This is messed up. Another said, I got married. I can't come. That that one might be a good one. Jesus is telling this story to point out what it will be like when he invites everyone to heaven, what he calls the marriage supper of the Lamb. But so many people will reject him and his invitation to experience eternal life. And in this man's case, his invitation was rejected by the people closest to him, those most like him, those in his circle. So what does he do? Verse 21, the servant returned, told his master what it said, and this master was furious. He said, go quickly into the streets and the alleys and the town. I want you to invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame, which in that day, they weren't accepted as part of society. Not saying that's today my view, but I was in, in Bible time, that was, that was the view. After the servant had done this, he repeated and said, hey, he came to me, he reported, he said, there's there's still room for more. I got those people that you sent me to get. We still got room for more. And so his master said, now go to the country lanes and behind the hedges. You mean, because it sounded like maybe it was a metro area, maybe a city area. Now go to the country, go to other parts. Urge anyone you can find to come so that the house will be full for none of those I invited first will get even the smallest taste of my banquet. He determined that he was going to get anyone he could to that banquet. Those were who were like him, who were self-sufficient, they weren't hungry, they weren't looking. So what he did was, instead of fretting and worrying about those people that are not interested in what I have, I'm going to make my circle bigger. I'm going to start to go after the people who don't act like me, live where I do, walk the way I do, talk the way I do, dress the way I do, live the way I do. I'm going to go to people who are broken and hurting on the side of the road that nobody's paying any attention to. I'm going to change the way my circle looks instead of just going after everyone who's just like me who's not hungry for this, I'm going to go find a whole new circle to reach. And he reached to them. And if, and if you haven't taught a Bible study in a while and you haven't brought anybody to church in a while or had a relationship or a conversation with anybody about the deep things of God, if you haven't shared your testimony in a while, maybe it's simply because God is trying to get you to reach into different circles know if this church will be in liberty forever, I think God might be calling us even to a different city for this very fact. He's looking to expand the circle. He's looking to say, hey, This has been the area of reach. Now I want this to be the area of reach. And so God's looking at Refuge Church and saying, can you love someone who does not look like you do? Can you pray with someone who does not act like you do? Can you put your arm around someone who says, my God, I don't even know what gender I am. And can you look at him and say, let's talk about this. I'm here for you. Can you talk to someone who says, I'm strung out and I only came in here just from warmth for the streets because it's cold outside. Do we say, oh, keep an eye on that person. They're not like us. Or do we walk up and say, what's your name? Here's my name. I want you to come to my table. I want you to pull up a chair to where I dine because God's calling the church to love, to love better than we ever have, to love more than we ever have. I believe this is a prophetic word because the next phase of growth is going to be dictated by men and women that have to love well. And to love well, you've got to see the intrinsic value in every person who does not carry themselves presently the way you carry yourself. Let the Word of God fall into your eyes and ears and hearts right now as He prepares you for this next season. One that I pray that we've already mastered, but I'm afraid maybe we haven't because any time we have to say, I love everybody. It's just that, and we, anything that needs to follow with disclaimers says that it's not the culture yet let the people say what they want about Refuge Church but I pray to God that we never get to the place where every person worships just like we do dresses just like we do talks and walks just like we do I pray that there's always new people coming in maybe even makes us a little on edge whoa they look different, they act different but that it always ends with hi my name is have you found a place to sit yet because i'd like to invite you to come and sit by me but what if they smell what if they look bad what if what if they don't even know these things what if, what if they don't know their gender what if the i mean what will keep you from saying hey it's so nice to meet you why don't you come sit by me? I'd love to have you as my guest. Are you here with anybody today? Well, I'd love for you to join me in my row. I'd like to introduce you to some of my friends. And who knows, maybe they'll stand like Charlotte. Maybe they'll look at you to see how do you worship. Oh, yeah, you raise your hands like that. Maybe I'll raise my hands like that you clap during this song yeah so the message is done you go to the altar and pray maybe I'll maybe I'll come with you Jesus will change lives there's no life in this world that is beyond where Jesus can reach but what if the only thing separating his reach from their life is the love of Christian people If these people could just interact with us and feel love, the world says love's acceptance. That's why we're afraid. Love is not acceptance. It's not just, oh, I, I affirm every choice you're making in your life. But when someone walks to these doors, they should be loved and accepted how they are at that moment. There's not going to be, str- let God work. If we trust Him, God will work. I don't need to push someone along do the work but I just wanted them to walk in here and go I feel Jesus and those people love me would you stand to your feet and would you just find a place to pray this is one of those messages it's not just for a select few this is one of the rare messages that God is speaking to every single human being online and in person he's speaking to every single person right now he's calling everybody to love better, to love well to love with all their hearts and minds, not just love him but love others God wants to use your love to reach to someone